Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Today we have a special guest, Mr. D. Porpoise Evans. Porpoise is a partner at the Weiss-Sirota firm in the firm's labor and employment and litigation division. His practice focuses on the representation of public and private companies in connection with employment matters. He does government investigations and legal disputes, litigation. I would also, I'm proud to say he's also our lawyer. He's the employment and labor and employment law firm lawyer for our firm. Clients look to Porpoise for his ability to find creative solutions. He's a risk minimizer. And if you're a business owner and you're not working with a labor and employment lawyer, I recommend Porpoise. Welcome, Porpoise. Oh, thank you for that intro. Welcome, Porpoise. Good morning. So I would say before this, I've learned so much already today. So I look forward to our listeners learning more too. I thought Porpoise was super interesting for the work he did and who I know him to be. And now I think he's even more interesting. So I want to get into the background and let's talk about that because I think our listeners would really love to hear about that. Okay. How far back do you want to go? Oh my goodness. I don't know. How far back do we need to go? Where do we start, Porpoise? Do where you want we, to start? Where were you born? Let's yeah, just, where were you let's born? Just get that uh, right. right. I come from the mean streets of Louisville, Kentucky. Right. Okay. Morning, so Kentucky. let's start peeling back the onion. All right. Louisville, sure. Kentucky. And 18 then years of my life. Okay. Yeah. Born and raised. Born Louisville, and raised. Kentucky. Okay. Ran away as soon as I could. Okay. And then to? Then to Providence, Rhode Island. Right. For college. Mm-hmm. Brown University. Brown University. And yeah. you left Brown in 1990. Oh, don't, don't date the guy. <laughs> Do you want to? No, I'm a child I of think the, the 70s here. and 80s. Because <laughs> yeah. you left Brown in 94, but when I look on your website, it yeah. says you graduated from Brown in 1999. Sure, so. sure. I, I, I was on the 11 year plan. Gap. Yeah. Right, right. You're on the 11 year plan. There were a lot. Of, see, I expect that at University of Florida. Mm-hmm. I knew a lot of, I'm sure you did too, a lot of people <laughs> on the 11-year plan, but right. maybe not a brand. No, I, I started in 88 and I was on a pre-med track. Mm-hmm. And by 1990, I knew that I had no interest in becoming a doctor. That's actually why I chose Brown over Yale was because they had a really cool program in liberal medical education, which allowed me to get off the train early enough before mm-hmm. I was trapped. Took a year off school. And when I came back to school, they were asking me for a couple more credits than I had. And I, I left town one credit short of graduating in 1994 wow. and thought I would take my talents to South Beach. So, <laughs> right. no. so you ended up coming down here. Came down here. How did you come? Why here? I came here with a woman. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No better reason. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. So you come down to South Florida. and Right, right to law school. Not at all. No, no, right. I, I had no idea that I'd be a, an attorney one day. Okay. I didn't know any attorneys. was never on a pre-law track. I was in the film business. I waited tables. I just wanted to be here in the sunshine away from the cold. You were in the film business in Miami? In the film business. On the backside of the camera, the prop world. Actually, two things I did. I had a company called Film Trash where we picked up garbage off film sets anytime See. they were filming on location. So you were a garbage man before I was you a garbage became man. a lawyer, right? Okay. Garbage man to the stars. <laughs> so Might have been stars. That? Film trash. The extras. What that is? The yeah. extras, right? Yeah. yeah. You yeah. picked up trash on film sets? That's right. That's right. Well, you, you built a business, we, right? We did. Yeah. You know, it was enough to put food on the table. Yeah. Yeah. And this was in the 90s, so there was a lot of production in Miami at That's the time. That's right. Miami Vice, I think, ended 
I don't know, maybe in the late 80s, but there was an industry here mm-hmm. and everybody wanted to shoot here. You had a lot of blockbusters, the, a lot of flops as well. Some of the things I worked on were Fair Game, Bad Boys, True Lies. What was the one Ace with Ventura? No, oh, no, no. Was, I had a lot of friends who worked on Ace Ventura. I know it was, that's why I asked. Yeah. Bad yeah. Boys was filmed in my neighborhood. Yeah. yeah, parts of it. The house was in my neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So Jeff got a credit if you look look at the end. Yeah. Yeah. In Bad Boys or Ace Ventura? No, at the end. Yeah. Yes. So it was just I get no neighborhood. Story yeah. of my life, no credit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, so, so you had you built this business, right? right? Film trash. Right. I had dreams of selling it to Wayne Heisinga, but, okay. but it was not oh, that the, kind of business. He owned waste management. Yeah, that's that right. Time, right? Okay. Yeah, owned the Dolphins, waste management. I thought that maybe that's what we'd build it into, but we didn't. We just kind of let it go. I looked around. I had no role models. I said, what am I going to be when I grow up? Let's think about this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, law school might be an option. I was working on a job up in New York for Target and decided to take the LSAT, took it, and uh, scored well enough to uh, have some schools interested in me. Okay. And so, the rest is history. Yeah. The rest is history, right? For, well, did you go and you went to, you worked at a big firm at Greenberg Trial, right? Yeah. Is that straight out of law school? No. Straight out, I worked at McDermott, Will & Emory. Okay. Another big firm. So, a couple of big firms under your belt for good, what, first 10 years of your career 10, or 12 years, yeah. And now you're at White Sirota. I am. I had a little pit stop at Perlman behind us, Yavoli and Albright, 20 lawyer shops. So it was a, it's a big change from Greenberg Traurig, 2,000, 2,500 lawyers down to 20. But I did that and made that move. Yeah. Can you want to, you want to talk about that change? How did you find it? Was that a difficult adjustment for you going from big to small? Or? It was a huge adjustment, but I wouldn't call it difficult. It was somewhat seamless. And I mean, I left Greenberg in large part because it wasn't a good fit for a country boy like me. I didn't have a single client when I left. You know, I thought perhaps the days of the service partner were numbered. Mm-hmm. So I decided if I was going to move, I was, I think I was 40 at that point, maybe a little older. I said, it's time to chart my own path. Right. And I think when you say that, the fit, I don't think you're speaking specifically about Greenberg, but more big firm yeah. for us in a small city. Yeah. No, Greenberg. I was at Greenberg for over 10 years, and I never thought that I was cut out for a big firm. But I got to say, it was, it was a, I'm very grateful for that time there. Did you jump right to employment law, or did you meander around a little bit in different areas until you found something that kind of stuck? Yeah. I I started out as a general commercial litigator, Mm -hmm. doing a lot of securities litigation, broker dealer defense when I was at GT. But there was a quirky group of guys who were always working late with me. There was this guy, Mark Schnapp and, and Steve Benhack and Joe Fleming. And uh, they were always doing some interesting stuff like mm-hmm. uh, you know, creative thinking and, and monkeying around. And Mark got me involved in FCPA, Foreign Corrupt Practices work. Joe Fleming got me involved in speaking about labor and employment. And this is back in like 2005, 2006. So before I was even practicing it, he was like, I want you to learn this stuff because I want to put you on some speaking engagements and help me write about it. And uh, I loved it. And then between the stuff that those two guys were doing, I thought, you know, this is a lot more suited to me than financial stuff. Do you still do FCPA, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act stuff? I do. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's on. And, and it right. dovetails really well with my labor and employment. Can, can you explain for our listeners what FCPA, like what does that mean? When you practice in the Foreign Practices Act, what is what is really, okay. what does that mean? What does that entail? It, it sounds really, I guess, sophisticated because of all the alphabet soup, but it basically means you shouldn't bribe public officials wait, to get wait, business. Wait, 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 wait. Maybe we... You haven't told us that before. Well, you're not doing any business abroad. I'm so you kidding. can do it here. It's called lobbying. Oh, okay. But when you do it, you do it in <laughs> a foreign take, country, it's I'm called gonna bribery. Silent. I'm going to remain silent. That's good. Yeah. So you're giving advice to companies who working abroad and That's maybe right. susceptible That's right. to it, those it has types a of... Broadly applicable, right? And you've got dual jurisdiction between the Department of Justice and the Securities and Exchange Commission. And it's a cash cow for the U.S. government, basically. So anybody who uh, you know has a manufacturing facility or JV or is bidding on a job with a foreign government is potentially subject to it. And the people say, well, what's that got to do with labor and employment? And I tell them, who gets a company in trouble? Employees. Mm-hmm. Employees, employees yeah. right? Which is everybody working for you, right, you know, whether course. it's a low-level manager or an executive. Right. What do they do? They harass their subordinates. They... And they try to pay bribes to get business. And those are two big risk areas that I help write policies about, help train employees about, and defend if the government steps in. So do you co- are you asked to come in, obviously, before there's any issues, right? So do you help companies, with, or law firms or companies, with employment manuals, like I think you said, with training yeah. for employees, things like that? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a life cycle. You know, if, if you do it right, if you're a responsible business owner, you're thinking about these things all the time and you have your policies in place. You train your employees on those policies. You hope that nobody runs afoul of the policies, but if they do or if they get accused of it, then you either have an employee who's suing the company or you have a government who's investigating and potentially bringing a suit or, or bringing down the sanctions hammer. So I would imagine that you have got your phone's got to be ringing off the record. has been over the last couple of years with all of that, with the policies and people working remotely. and yeah. um, the, like, the world just is upside down. It yeah. has been for going on three years now, right? Yeah. No, two years. Would you say, before we get into that, mm-hmm. would you say that in your experience, do most companies have the employment policies that should be in place, like a procedures manual? And it, It's a mixed bag. Yeah. You've got some companies that have put a lot of thought into it. And the com- when I say company, I could be talking about a company that's worldwide or a local business with five employees. But mm-hmm. some of them have really tried to get their ducks in a row. Some of them have a payroll company, mm-hmm. an ADP or something like that, a PEO maybe where they have pulled something off the shelf and slotted it in and haven't thought about it in, in years. Then there's some that are just completely naked and, right. and have no handbook. But I would suspect that the ones that are naked stay that way until they get sued or a threat yeah. of a suit. Right? Or, yeah, or they have a question. They have an employee who's complaining about something. And oftentimes the question I have for them is, what's your handbook say? You're legally entitled to do it unless your handbook says that you're going to do it in a different way, which a lot of them do, unbeknownst to the owners of the company. Right, so they have it. And would you say that it's better, because you mentioned the sort of off-the-shelf manual, would you say that's better than no manual? <laughs> Tough question. It's, it's I, know. I to recognize say. it's a hard question. <laughs> it depends, as we like yeah. to say, right? Because yeah. I see a lot of things that are just are the proverbial square peg in the round hole. Right. And they just don't apply. Or a company has promised things to its employees. It could be vacation days or holiday days or all sorts of things that they don't know they've promised. 
Right, right. The worst handbooks are those that they've gotten from a friend. <laughs> you know? And, and yeah, you know, they might have yeah. gotten them from a friend in California where they had to have a lot more protections than we need here in Florida. Florida is a good place to be if you're an employer, right? Employer. Employer. employer why, right? And why is that? We're very business friendly. Mm-hmm. Whether it has to do with the fact that we don't have, we have very few state laws that exceed the federal laws. I mean, our overtime is higher than federal overtime. And anybody who doesn't realize that overtime is now 10 bucks an hour and will go up every year for the next, not overtime, sorry, minimum wage for the next five years is behind the times. So 10 bucks an hour in Florida? 10 bucks an hour in Florida. Right. Yeah. Federal still eight something. Right. That's just shocking to me. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. really is. That's even, yeah. That there's a dispute about that. Yeah. About raising I, I, that. Right. Yeah. Separate, that's a whole, we could do a whole oh, a separate yeah. ep- episode on that. But the other point, you know, I think you were starting to say is about when you get it from your friend. Oh, you were saying about this, each state has different laws. So you oh, have sure. to, in, when you're dealing with a labor and employment or a manual, you have to follow federal regulations, state, and then even local, right? Don't some counties and cities have their own uh, requirements? And Miami-Dade, you know, overlays the city of Miami or Miami Beach or Coral Gables. You have to be tuned into the various ordinances, yeah. So how does that come into play with the fact that people are now working in different locations, right? You have an office, let's say here in Miami, and you have now people spread about either mm-hmm. throughout the state of Florida, so you have different counties and cities, or throughout different states. Yeah, well, typically where the employee is working is where the employee can avail himself mm-hmm. or herself of the protections. You're always going to have the federal law on top. Mm-hmm. You got Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act, mm-hmm. so you're always going to have those protected characteristics. It's not a protected class. You know, that's another slight misconception, but it's the characteristics that give you the protection. So you're always going to have those, but then some states might give you more protection. Or, for example, in Florida, we have a new law that the idea is to, I guess, give people more freedom over their bodies, Mm -hmm. right? And to reject uh, vaccines. So this is employees more This is employees, Right. So this is the one area <laughs> that I've seen where where Florida is not a pro business state. Right, exactly. So it's 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 pretty ironic, <laughs> but but we're protecting employees against their oppressive employers, quote unquote, all right. of that. So yeah, there really is no federal law right now mandating vaccines. The OSHA division of the Department of Labor did have a standard that had been put in place in September and mm-hmm. it's been litigated in the courts and a couple of weeks ago, the Supreme Court put it on ice and this week actually, I think it was on Monday, OSHA said we're taking it off the table. So that large employer rule mandating vaccines that everybody was up in arms about is gone. So, so that, uh, Sorry, that was for private employers. The federal correct. is still there, although that's still being challenged. Exactly. Right. right. And has health and hospital workers. I health and hospitals still, is actually yeah, okay. Still, in, Yeah, still the Supreme Court said that yeah. that was so, okay. So but that's that gonna, a little bit different too, because that's that really only says that you can't, if you don't have the VAX mandate, then you can't get reimbursed by Medicare and Medicaid. Right. So, but this, in a way, isn't this make it harder for employers that have offices in multiple states? Because now oh. they're trying to... If you have an overarching federal mandate that you're complying with, that that's a single mandate. But if now they're 
in multiple states, they got to comply with each yeah. state, right? Yeah, and I've, I've got a handful of clients that are dealing with that right now, and they were really, really worried. Well, even the local clients right. were worried about it when because the the federal law for the large employers was indirect, seemed to be seemed to be in direct conflict with the new Florida law. There really was a very a good slice down the middle where you could comply with both, as long as you were masking. I mean, it's not a mask mandate if you have the option to test, right? Right. So now, right. So now you've got companies that have offices in different states that know they have to comply with different employment laws. Yeah, it's tough. It's a mosaic. But now it's, you got to layer on the whole vaccine issue, right? But then you now have this other issue of people not going to the offices, but working either from their homes Mm -hmm. or from somewhere else. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And now companies have to consider those issues, right? And I imagine you're kind of dealing with a bunch of that right now. Completely. And I've been interviewing and several associates are working remotely out of uh, New York, New Jersey. They're nowhere near the law firms that they're working for. So these are attorneys that you're interviewing to potentially hire, right? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the benefits is, right, you're now, your recruiting pool has expanded geographically. A lot of people want to be in Florida for all kinds of different reasons. Right, yeah. And we can talk, actually, well, I have an interesting story about one of those reasons, but it's off topic. We can keep on with this. But yeah, it's difficult for the employer, but well, ultimately on, where you're working yeah. is, is <laughs> the state law that's going to protect Hold on. you. You think you're going to get away from that? Is this uh, something that you can discuss publicly with your, your oh, yeah, little yeah, side yeah, yeah. story? Go, please. We can, we can keep it uh, we love an anonymous. topic. Yeah, yeah. I, well, just along the lines of the attraction of Florida, I recently got a call from a friend who had a friend in Canada. And he wants to buy a business in Florida in order to escape the oppressive, again, in quotation marks, the oppressive laws that he's living under in Montreal in order to get down to Florida and bring his family here. So he wants to actually immigrate. You know, every year there's a regime change. Mm-hmm. I hear folks talk about, I'm getting out of here. Right. You know, this is the last straw. I right. have to leave. Yeah. Well, this is a guy who's actually doing it. Yeah. Very interesting. So he wants to be here because we're much more open to to the non-vaxxed. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So then good little detour. And he's coming to Florida? He's coming to Florida. He's bringing his unvaccinated family here because because we're a free state. You'll let us know offline where where they live. Right. Right. Exactly. Anyway. All right. So we're talking about labor and play. Well, let me ask a different question because Brett and I are in an entrepreneur's or we're in entrepreneur's organization. So we have tons of entrepreneur friends. What would be the sort of, uh, if you had one piece of advice to generically give to business, local business owners, what would it be? We're going to pass this along on your behalf. (laughs) The single biggest piece of advice that I give to people is please talk to somebody like me if you have 1099 employees. Okay. So because there's no such thing as a 1099 employee. 1099, yeah. So to explain, 1099 would be... Yeah, 1099 is the federal tax form that you submit or that you provide to an independent contractor. Mm Mm-hmm. And employees cannot be paid as independent contractors, no matter how you and the employee agree, whether right. you and the employee agree that it's a good thing and and a good wink, wink, nod, nod right. relationship. It just causes all sorts of trouble. Yeah. And I hear from other business owners pretty often that how many employees do you have? Well, I have 12 employees and, and 16 1099s. Yep. Exactly. Like that's, that's, I've heard that, the like yeah. quotes like that. Many, many times. Yeah. I mean, there's a so place. So what's the risk there? Yeah. There's a place, sorry, there's a place for that though, sure. right? To, I guess to just sort of 
hop on to Jeff's question. There's a place for 1099s, but we are saying is, look, if there's somebody who looks and smells like a duck, it's a duck. It's an employee, yeah. not a 1099. And the, the problem is the regulators, one of the problems are the regulators. So you've got the Department of Labor that doesn't like it. You've mm-hmm. got the IRS that doesn't like it. And setting aside the SEC, you've got workers' comp issues. And you just you don't have the same rights as an independent contractor that you have as an employee. So you can't sue for discrimination, for example. You're not entitled to overtime. You're not entitled to workers' compensation. All of those things go out the door. And so you basically, it's a recipe for abuse if you're not paying your and considering your employees' employees. This was the whole issue for Uber. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. So if a company has a series one or more 1099s that are individuals that are regularly working for their company, I don't, I don't know what's the standard. I guess that we're, you know I know it's there. Not, there are so there are at draw. least three multi-factor tests, right. and I don't think okay. we have time to go through no, all of them. But nor do we have <laughs> labor and IRS have right. have similar but different right. tests, and then you got the common law test, then you got the state test. And right. California has a brand new test, the ABC test that came out of the Uber lawsuit. Right. So, right. so it's a mess. Yeah. Um, but bottom line is, if a plumber it's, it's is a traditional independent contractor, right. you call the plumber to come in, fix your toilet when it breaks, right? Right. He or she has his own business right. and goes and works for different law firms fixing their toilets. You might be big enough that you've got an in-house plumber that only works <laughs> for you, Right. So a plumber could go either way, but your, yeah. your traditional plumber is an independent contractor. Right. And I try to get people to think of it that way. If you've got right. somebody doing your core services. Uh, how about IT? Like IT person. Like someone is IT. If you've same got an right? IT person that only does IT and works for a bunch of different law firms. Right. That could be an independent contract. Probably right. is. That right. company is. But if you've got one guy that does all your IT and just happens to do it from his house but he's pretty much working full-time for you, he doesn't have any risk of entrepreneurship, then he's probably your employee. Right. And how does this become a problem for an employer? Like, how does this arise? If they're not listening to this podcast and taking your advice to go talk to you, how are they going to hear about this? Well, they could hear about it when when the employee falls down on a pair of roller skates working from home on the way from the home office to the kitchen and wants to file a workers' comp claim. And you say, well, okay, but I don't have insurance because you're not my employee, so good luck. I hope you have your own insurance. Similarly, mm-hmm. become a problem when you fire the person and the person wants to leave. And they say, well, you haven't been paying me overtime for the past two years. I think you ought to because I really was your employee. Similar thing happens when you've misclassified a non-exempt employee. Mm-hmm. But you know, there, right. there are potential tax implications too. Right, or payroll tax yeah, implications, yeah, right? Definitely. Yeah. So the IRS, I mean, theory, you could get audited and they could say, the, hey, what are all these 1099s? Sure. Who that's are the bonus for, one of the big bonuses for an employer is not having to pay any payroll taxes. Right. right. Yeah. And then it could be a surprise when the employee gets audited. Right. And this issue comes up for one employee or one, you know, I'm putting air quotes around the word employee, for one 1099 employee then the others could learn about it and now it's an issue. Then you end up with a collective action. Yeah. Right. Okay. Good so stuff. That's a little like... bit different than a class action, but right, no. but one employee could sue on behalf of all the employees. Right. One ten ninety nine. Sure. We're using that term. Okay. Gotcha. No. So it seems like obviously people need to call you or somebody right. like you 
far in advance of when they actually think they need you. If you have people working <laughs> for you, yeah. it's time to start thinking about yeah. the issues. That Get out in front of it. It's going to yeah. cost you a lot more in mm-hmm. time and money if you yeah. don't. Yeah, the, that's the difficulty is how does a business startup that has limited resources, how do they prioritize hiring a lawyer? They don't tend to do that until they're right. reacting to some problem, right. Mm-hmm. right? But you are one of those examples where Hiring you early can avoid the problems, minimize the expense, and will cost a heck of a lot less than... I can't tell you how many clients I've had to defend. The clients have had to defend a lawsuit and have spent, just from day one, at least 10 grand. And it's hard to defend a lawsuit for less than 10 grand. Oh, yeah. Right? Over a one, two, or $3,000 dispute. I right. can't tell you how many unpaid overtime claims I've settled for less than $5,000 after the client has had to pay me twenty grand right. to defend it. And, and it could have been avoided really simply, really early. And, and, the other, and the other thing that you're not mentioning there is besides the financial cost, is the time and the distraction. The stress that it puts a business through, especially a small business owner through, to have to go through it. And the animosity that develops it's never nice when it's a former employee, right? Usually something happened to make the employee former, right. but still everybody goes on on their merry way. Right. Um, yeah. But the attention that's diverted from the main goal of the business, you know, you can't put a price tag on that. Right. And I would say that, I know we talked about a bunch of these issues and not to belabor, belabor the point, but <laughs> there are even more complex issues today that companies have to deal with, right? Yeah. Numerous states, different laws, you know, all of this stuff, vaccine issues, health issues, like all of that. They're just mushrooming. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't see it changing. I mean, and then there's obviously, we didn't even talk about security and all the protocols and all, I mean, all that stuff, right? And keeping information secret and private. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you are, I think you and lawyers like you who are employer side, I want to talk about that a little employer side, labor, employee. You're kind of like a one-time insurance policy. Not one-time, but an insurance policy of some... It's it's the old ounce of prevention adage. Right. Yeah. And what's the adage again? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. There you go. There you go. And and just to clarify my prior comment, you are employer side. Is that right? Predominantly employer side. I won't sue employers. I'll talk to an employee. I'll help them into or out of a contract if necessary. Right. But uh, but I won't go full-on adverse to an employer. And and employment law is one of those unique practice areas where lawyers tend to be one side or the other. Most do. There are a few, especially the smaller firms, that play both sides of it. And why are you employer side? Why why wouldn't you sue employers? Well, I... I I, I know the answer, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you might not know the answer. Frankly, most of the claims that I get, I would have to turn away. And when I worked for a smaller firm, I thought about it. And I talk to a lot of people. And I'll, I'll talk to anybody. It's a friends and family kind of thing. And I have good relationships with employee side attorneys, so I'll, I'll make good referrals. But most of the people who came to me just didn't have decent cases. And they thought they were entitled to a payday when the employer had done nothing wrong. And that's just not the type of case that I would ever be interested in bringing right. or even negotiating for. Right. But if, even if it is a good case, you're still going to refer it out. I am. And why? Because I work for a firm that is based on an hourly fee model, not right. a contingent fee model. Right. And the average 
employee and even executive can't sustain litigation on an hourly basis. Right. But is there also just the idea of as an employer that my lawyer is giving me advice, but also suing, you know, companies like mine? Actually, actually, I would disagree with that. No, No, because many of my clients like the idea that I can see both sides of it. Yeah. And I've gotten a lot of positive. I did get a lot of positive feedback when I toyed with the idea of, of being a both sides kind of guy. As long as you didn't sue them, that's exactly well. And sometimes you know you get <laughs> we have conflict. Checks. You have to make some arguments in, in one case, and then it comes back to you know haunt you in the next case, right? That's so you have to be to careful happen. of that too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I saw that happen more in commercial litigation. Yeah, uh, too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So I think there's only one issue left that we should probably raise. Oh, go ahead, please. Purpose. No, no, you please feel free. I don't know. I'm not sure. Your what name it is, is Porpoise. I knew that was coming. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Like we can't let you go. Yeah. So, how did you get the name Porpoise? You want the true story, right? Well, yeah. Yes, I, but okay. then I also want to know the untrue story. No, we want <laughs> I really the true, want to know we want both. The true story. I want, we I want, want the to know true. both. Well, yeah. well, my first initial is D, right? Right. And that stands for dolphin. And okay. I just thought that sounded too silly. So I decided to go with Porpoise, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of my street name years ago. <laughs> and uh, also that's, when that's I was moving true. to Miami, I was yeah. like, people are going to think I'm a Dolphins fan. I grew up a Bears fan. Right. That doesn't make any sense. Okay. That's, so that's the untrue story. Ah, you got me. Yeah. Okay. Tell you us the true one. Tell us the true <laughs> right, story. Now. All right. That's we all had right. a good pregnant pause there for a minute to let the, yeah. the listener think that was yeah, the so real I, story. I was okay. a swimmer. That really was my identity. What was your discipline? My event. Your, your event. event. Sorry. Yeah. Your event. Sorry. <laughs> 50 meter freestyle. Okay. Not to be confused with 50 yard freestyle no, where, you, 50 where you have to do a turn yep. because you see I have these bottle caps mm-hmm. uh, glasses. I couldn't do a good turn. No matter. I swam however many years, 20 so years. Are you so crashing you into, so are you just crashing the, into the wall there? Yeah, yeah. When, he, yeah, when he hits the wall, he stops. <laughs> yeah, right. know, I'd, I'd bang my feet. I'd miss the wall and I'd not be close enough. You right. know, I just, I couldn't hit a good turn in a big race. So I was, so it was a long course, 50 meter. Okay. And uh, I had a girlfriend who saw me swimming the butterfly, not the freestyle. And she said, oh, you know, you look like a porpoise. I'm going to call you porpoise. And a couple girlfriends later, it stuck. Mm-hmm. And I had to get it legalized because my credit card said porpoise Evans and my checks, back when we used checks, they said something different. Right. Yeah. I can, so, what's the diff? Something different. Yeah. We have a trade secret issue. Here. Oh. So you know, I am D Corpus Evans, and we are not revealing anything more than the. Or, is there? Is there, Who knows? Besides, obviously, your family. Yeah. You know, fair number of people know. Payroll knows. Oh, well, okay. payroll. Uh, yeah. Who do you use again? We're going to call. Them. <laughs> yeah. uh, That's right. It's a great story, and I'm really yeah. happy to hear you on the air, recorded for Presteri, committing to come join my swim group. <laughs> on a Sunday, maybe this Sunday when it'll be 40 You have 50 my commitment degrees. as soon as the water, as soon as I don't need a wetsuit to get in the water. Yeah. Well, I moved to Miami week. not to swim in this kind of water. Understood. Porpoise, this has been fun. If you have any questions for Porpoise or you want to contact him or hire him, his contact info is in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star review. If you're listening to this podcast, then you know where to find our podcast, but please share it with your friends and family. And we will see you next time. Thanks, Porpoise. Hey, thanks, thanks for Nelson. Thank you, Nelson. For more information on this show and other resources, visit fastamron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at Fast Amron.